Welcome to episode 50 of the Roger Snipe Show. The Roger Snipes Show. Yo, what's going on? What's going on, everybody? Hope everyone is cool. So, episode 50. Wow, <laughs> super excited. I feel like I'm supposed to do a giveaway or something like that. Um... Yeah, I've got nothing to give away. <laughs> Besides, I wouldn't know exactly how to do it, you know. Um, how would I do the giveaway? Something I need to think about. Maybe I need to think about that on episode 100. But anyway, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you've been getting some quality information each time you, um, yeah, you upload a new podcast. Or should I say download? Download a new podcast. Today's episode is going to be very interesting, especially for men, because it's going to be around sexual health, you could say, um, but primarily focusing on male sexual health. So if you have been wanting to know a bit more in how to perform a bit better in the bedroom, or even, you know, like common myths, uh, misconceptions, um, just questions which you want to know uh, around just kind of sexual guidance, in all fairness, uh, then this podcast is definitely for you. The guy I'm speaking to today is a sexologist, a professional uh, sex coach, certified sexologist. Um, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. But... Uh, to start off, I actually just want to talk about uh, a little experience I've had recently, not sexual experience, that's private, <laughs> um, which I've had with these uh, blood flow restriction bands. Uh, for anyone who follows me on social media will probably see that I've done a post recently about these restriction bands which I was using. I heard a lot about them <clears throat> and um, thought, do you know what, I want to give it a go and see how it works. You know, I read some really good reviews with how restricting blood flow during training can help to produce protein synthesis, um, increase your growth hormone, and like many, many other great stuff. But I just wanted to know how it felt. So I got these straps from a company called uh, Recover Fun. Recover Fun and strapped up and gave it a go. And the first session I decided to use it with was legs. And obviously legs alone is always a grilling session. And um, it was crazy, man. I was fatigued in no time. I, I didn't really need as much weight, I'm assuming, obviously as the blood is not as um, flowing as you'd want it to be. <laughs> you're going to be restricted with how much oxygen is going around the body. So obviously I had to try and fight through that and the constant fatigue and it was incredible. It was fantastic. So um, definitely give that a go yourself if you're looking to have faster results, um, especially if a lockdown happens again, because the one of the key benefits of this is it's amazing to use with weights but if you don't have weights or if you have very light weights and it's very difficult for you to really get a, a strenuous session because the weights are so light, you can actually do that 
or uh, emulate that by using these blood flow restriction bands by putting it on your arms or your legs. So yeah, fabulous. So check out Recover Fun if you want to increase the outcome of your workout and the intensity in a shorter space of time. So as this podcast is on the subject of <laughs> sexual health, one of the things I feel is very good and useful for sexual health as well as other uh, cellular benefits is red light therapy. I have a panel myself, which I use at home, uh, which has many great benefits, such as increased mental acuity. So you will see that your, your focus is a lot sharper. Um, a better circadian rhythm. So, you know, we are bombarded with a mixed array of artificial light, whether it's the light on your ceiling or from your television, laptop, computers, any sort of digital device that gives off uh, any blue light will affect your circadian rhythm, which is your body clock. And red light therapy can actually reset that and uh, bring it back to normal. Also, your performance, performance and recovery. So if you train, um, yeah, <laughs> brings your performance back to where it needs to be. Obviously, you need to recover and good sleep and rest is great for that. And also red light therapy is amazing for that as well because it increases cellular health and uh, mitochondria, ATP. Uh, it's fantastic. Also, sleep optimization. If you have trouble getting deep sleep, then red light therapy would be amazing for that. I normally use it before bed and um, yeah, <laughs> have beautiful sleep. And uh, studies have shown that it may increase your testosterone as well. So if you shine some red light on your testicles, then it may increase your testosterone. <laughs> A little added benefit. But if you are interested, then check out juve.shop forward slash snipes. So that link again is juve.shop forward slash snipes. Now juve is spelled J-O-O-V-V dot shop forward slash snipes. Right, so as I mentioned earlier, the guy who I'm interviewing today goes by the name of Cam. And we had a cool conversation. It was quite interesting. It was quite <laughs> an eye-opener on a lot of things. And it uh, made me question certain things. <laughs> I, think, I think the main thing from the conversation which stood out to me, I mean, there was lots of things, don't get me wrong. We, we covered a lot. But it was like one of those where you you question whether you've got a closed mind. And he was talking about uh, prostate stimulation. Uh, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> it's pretty much sticking something in your bumhole. Whether it's your finger <laughs> or some kind of device. Obviously, there's some sort of art to it. But... It's supposed to be a good thing. <laughs> so it was um, it was a very interesting conversation. Now, Cam is, as I said, a certified professional sex coach, certified sexologist. He's also a registered counselor and registered 
tantric yoga teacher. His work integrates scientifically validated, medically accurate information about sexual health with sacred sexual teachings from the mastery traditions. Now, as a coach, he helps men to go beyond surface level sex and into a full-bodied, self-expressed, pleasure-orientated sexual experience, free of anxiety or shame. Now let's bring on Cam Fraser. So Cam, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really good, man. I'm doing really, really good. I had a pretty relaxing day and I'm, I'm happy to be chatting with you. Oh, super excited as well. So I came across your page and I thought, Wow, there's there's a lot of stuff regarding sex on here. <laughs> a couple of pictures of dicks on there as well. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on. <laughs> I know, right? So, um, <clears throat> you know, for, for a lot of men, we're very curious about lots of things. But I think with men is, I think uh, many of us don't ask much questions. We we just have this... this um, this idea that we're supposed to just understand it all. And um, if we have any questions, then just keep it to yourself or just try and figure it out as you go along. I don't know, it's almost like it's kind of expected of a man to just know. Like the first time you have sex, you, you just need to be great at it. Uh, what's yeah. your thoughts on that? Do you think there's many men who have uh, those kind of issues? hugely brother like my, that was i mean that was my own lived experience as well was i was under the impression that i was supposed to be like really knowledgeable and really good at sex even though i hadn't had sex before and i didn't even know what the fuck i was doing like i was i was uh yeah i felt that expectation whether it was put on to me by um my partner or you know my mates or whoever it was it was you know something that i felt and sharing that with a lot of other guys they have very very similar experiences they they feel like they're supposed to be the person that's in charge right when it comes to sex they're supposed to be the the, the assertive dominant partner in a sexual experience um you know they're, mm. they're supposed to know what they're doing and to um and to be that confident person in the bedroom uh, and and where do we get that education from I mean, no one's no one's teaching us sex education in school never taught us that you know, there's yeah. no um there's not a lot of people in the mainstream media kind of uh, portraying really good role models of what that looks like. You know, in, in fact, there's probably the opposite of that. There's a lot of men that have been called out for being uh, predatory or violatory with their, um, with their sexuality. So mm. there's not a lot of, you know, coming from that mainstream media. So we've got this like kind of myth, right? Of like, and where does this myth come from? And it can probably be traced back to things like porn and mainstream media where, You've got these guys in Hollywood movies and um, pornographic films that are, you know, taking charge and that are dominant and that are assertive and that just kind of know what they're doing and the women are just receptive to that, you know, and, and you know they just play along. And little, you know, little do we remember that this is all it's all paid acting, you know, and it's all um, it's all stereotyped <laughs> and and romanticized and it's all it's all entertainment at the end of the day. So you know we we at least this is the work that I try and do is try and challenge that um, narrative so that guys feel comfortable admitting that they might not know what they're doing, that they actually need a bit of help, that they don't know everything when it comes to sex, that they might not even be actually very good at sex and that there's, you know, there's room to learn and there's room to grow. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, 
that that challenges this idea that men have about themselves and their masculinity, which is like if I admit that I need help with sex, I'm I'm admitting that I'm not a man. I'm admitting that I'm not as manly as I need to be. You know, and and, and you know, we're so wrapped up in our well, our masculinity is so wrapped up in our ego that um, it, it's a big blow to our identity. It's a big blow to our ego to say, "Fuck, I actually need a bit of help here with my sex. I need a bit of help mm. with my relationship." You know, to to um, to be vulnerable, right? That's that's kind yeah. of what it is. Is you're admitting that you're being vulnerable. You're admitting to the vulnerability and the, and that insecurity that is probably there for a lot of guys. You know, I, I know a lot of the men that I talk to have that kind of in the back of their minds, and they just kind of push it away, and they're like, "No, I don't need to ask for help. I can just kind of do it. I'll figure mm. it out." Or I'll turn to the internet or I'll turn to my mates, you know, who oftentimes offer advice in a really unhealthy um, setting, you know, oftentimes around a beer and it's usually pretty ladsy. It's around the locker room and it's usually quite misogynistic advice and it's usually shit advice as well because <laughs> the guys know what they're doing because they have the same messages and stories that you have. Uh, so, so to reach out to someone like myself or someone that's doing, you know, some type of masculinity or sexuality work can be quite daunting for a lot of guys mm. and i found in my work as well that if i do something publicly like if i host a workshop or if i do like a talk or something that's just open to the public i'll get a lot of women come to that they'll buy tickets they'll they'll come in droves and, and they want to know about men they want to know about the, the men that they're being sexual with you know how to tap into his sexuality how to connect with him a bit deeper you know uh, they're just super interested in it and i think it's because it's a lot more societally acceptable for women to ask for help and to want to seek out sexuality advice and knowledge than it is for men uh, but if i do things yeah. privately i get a lot of guys reach out to me you know if i if i say hey i'm taking anonymous questions and uh, I'm, I'm providing you know some type of you know one-on-one -on -one service where it's not known to the public i get heaps of men um reach out to me in a one-on-one -on -one capacity because I, I think there's that like safety in in anonymity that safety in like oh I, I can't let my mates know that i'm reaching out to this guy i can't you know um let them take the piss out of me for, yeah. for talking about sexuality and maybe saying that i've got like a problem with erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or whatever it is going on for them so um so it's mm. the bane of my life man the bane of my whole career <laughs> is men to really open up about you know their their sexuality stuff so what is what is it you do exactly what what is your title for you know for people to to know so my the, the title that i use most often is i'm a men's sex coach and right. um you know, my my background i suppose is uh psychology uh, i've got degrees in psychology and counseling uh, i've also got a degree in sexology uh, which is kind of a more clinical scientific approach to human sexuality uh, and i've also got a background in massage in yoga and in like tantric practices as well so there was a period of time where i was teaching tantric yoga for a little bit that was quite fun and interesting um, i was doing a lot of workshops that were quite experiential a lot of touch-based type stuff mm. um, and then i i started to to i i tend to think of myself as quite academically inclined um, and so i really resonate with talk therapy and psychology and um and the kind of you know study of human sexuality rather than the more um uh, let's say uh, experiential modalities like breath work and yoga and things like that i leave those to people that are really passionate about that yeah um and so i, I worked for a little bit as a as a kind of sex and relationship counselor for for everyone for for men women um trans people whoever it was and um and you know i was i was just kind of relying on talk therapy for quite a while and, and, it, and it was enjoyable and i felt like i was serving but um i felt quite limited to what i could offer you know i had all this other 
uh, knowledge and wisdom and experience from massage and from you know, yoga and from breath work and all these other modalities that I felt like I couldn't really use or utilize in my counseling sessions and therapy sessions. So I, I switched from a counselor to a coach and, and started, you know, and, and then I've got a degree, um, well, not a degree, but a certification in coaching through the, um, the World Association of Sex Coaches as well. So you're part of a professional body through that. And the, um, the coaching hat, I suppose, allowed me to draw on these other modalities of yoga, of breath work, of tantric practices. Um, you know, it allowed me to talk a bit more about the spirituality aspect of sexuality um, from people like Mantek Chia and traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. So I could draw on a few more disciplines to incorporate those into my sessions, into my one-on-one sessions. And, um, and so now I work uh, as well. I niched specifically with men because that's my experiences as a guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, heterosexual, uh, cisgender white dude as well, like a you know, straight white guy. So, um, you know, I, I try and speak to, to that, you know, I, I speak to what I have, um, authority on which is you know my own lived experience so i speak into yeah. that and i i share a lot about what i guess i share what i needed to hear 10 years ago right when i was going through all of my own sexuality stuff right i was i was in a pretty mad mad mental health space and i can talk about that a bit later if you're, you're interested but yeah sure I try and speak to, i try and speak to me about 10 years ago um and so that i, I guess really resonates with a lot of men because it's a pretty common experience for a, a young you know 17 18 19 20 year old to to be confused about sexuality and not really know where to go from it and not really know um you know who to ask or, or who to turn to so mm. so that that's what i decided to to really uh dive into and, and that's what i'm really passionate about as well is that kind of men's health component of, of sexuality awesome do you think that someone needs to have a, a large amount of sexual experience to be a sex sex coach or is it just a wouldn't say a large amount i would say um like i would say the education is what's necessary you know I, I think it's important to be knowledgeable and clued in to like you know the um have a finger on the pulse i suppose with regards to like sexuality information that's kind of out there you know i i do a lot of uh i suppose research or i do a lot of reading about like what are the myths you know i, I reflect on my own life as well about like what what were some of the myths about masculinity and sexuality that i came up against and that i really struggled with um, and then I kind of ask a lot of men what it is that they know or think they know about sexuality. And, um, and so I, I, I try and challenge a lot of those things and do a bit of research on those. So I think, um, I don't think uh, a large amount of experience is really necessary, but I do think a, la- a large amount of like research and education is really necessary. So mm. um, I would probably, I mean, this is my own personal opinion, but I probably wouldn't go seek out um, sex coaching advice from uh, a, a Christian conservative person who's waiting until marriage to have sex, right? Cause that doesn't align with my own, uh, philosophies about sexuality and, um, a, a, and religion as well. So I yeah. think if you're, if you're looking for a sex coach, try and find someone, um, and the same thing goes for, for therapy and, and healing and anything really find someone who aligns with your own values and philosophies. So yeah. people that do want to wait to marriage that do want to, um, you know, practice abstinence and that do want to do all these things that I maybe don't necessarily um, align with who would go and seek that Christian, you know, conservative uh, coach, whoever it might be. So mm. I think it's really whatever your own values and philosophies are is, is the type of person who you kind of want to seek out in a coach. Yeah. So <clears throat> we have a lot of people um, 
it you know in your teenage era it starts off as kind of like a self uh, exploration getting to understand your body and you know just playing around a little bit like oh that feels pretty good let me do that again mm, that feels nice um uh, uh, until it might even become so nice that you do it frequently like you know in your in your own um in the comfort of your own home in a in a private setting and uh it could even get to the point where you might do it really frequent um would you say uh, masturbation affects a person's life uh in in a good way a bad way or is there you know pros and cons about it yeah totally man like um I guess like with anything good, you want to do it in moderation. You know what I mean? Like if there's, if you're getting to the point where you're masturbating or like, you know, being sexual, it doesn't have to look like the stereotypical way that you, you know, we, we think of masturbating, but if you're just, you know, being sexual to the point where it's interfering with your job, it's interfering with your relationships, perhaps it's interfering with your other commitments, then I'd probably suggest doing some work on that you know if it's getting in the way of other things and it's interfering with your other responsibilities um, and commitments then i would say you know there's probably a bit of a uh, something to work on there. there's probably an issue there that needs to be resolved um but hmm. you know there's there's a lot of um i guess there's a lot of talk about like or how many times should i be masturbating in a week how many times should i be having sex in a week there's a lot of opinions about that right because there's no right or wrong answer to that the, the answer is what feels good for you right if you if you can masturbate three times a day still get everything else done and that feels fucking good for you then amazing three times a day is is your perfect number what i usually suggest is experimenting so if you have been doing something one way for 17 years right your whole life whatever it is try changing it up right can you go two weeks without being sexual you know can you go two weeks without masturbating or uh, on the flip side of that if you really you know, have a long period of time in between the the times that you masturbate, can you shorten that period of time? And can you masturbate maybe once a day for a week and notice how your body feels, you know, get familiar with those different types of sensations in your body by changing things up, by experimenting, treat it as like a big curious exploration of your, of your body, right. And, and of, and getting that feedback of what kind of, what, what feels good for you and what doesn't feel good for you and finding something that, that feels in, um, in alignment for yourself, I suppose. And, mm. um, the, and then we can kind of look at like, you know, at least I'm a big believer in this is that sexuality and our sexual identity and, and the way that we understand our sexual selves is inextricably linked to who we are as a human being, you know, like our sexuality informs the way that we show up in the world, that we interact with, with everyone, you know, from, uh, a religious authority, right. The clergy to family members, uh, siblings, parents, and children, uh, friends, uh, mates, you know, whether they're of the same gender or a different gender, uh, and romantic partners as well, right? And work colleagues, our sexuality, either the expression of it or the restriction of it informs how we interact with every single one of those people that I've just mentioned, right? From all those different categories. So the more we know about our sexual self, the more we know about like, what turns us on, what turns us off, what we find pleasurable, what our boundaries and limitations are, right? The more robust understanding we have of our sexual self, which is part of part of us, right? A very important and influential part of us, the uh, more uh, 
authentic, I would say, the more genuine our interactions with those people that I've just mentioned, all people really is going to be because we have a, a better understanding of who we are. So like I'm a, mm. so, and so because of that, I'm a proponent of like self-pleasure as much as you want, you know, I, <laughs> right. I, I try and shift the, the frame uh, away from masturbation, which like I kind of mentioned has this stereotypical image, particularly for men, right. Of, uh, a lot of connotations to the word masturbation. Mm. I ask guys, um, you know, to, t to tell me about what their typical masturbation looks like. I usually get one of three answers, right? I get guys, uh, like I am right now sitting in front of a computer screen and, uh, hunched over with one hand on their cock, the other hand on the mouse. And they're just kind of like scrolling and clicking <laughs> on, a, on right? <laughs> the other, the other one is pretty similar. They've got a phone in their hand and they're sitting on the couch or they're lying in bed. And again, they've got, you know, they're swiping on the phone and, and, and the other hands on their cock or they're in the shower, right? Behind closed doors, turn the hot water on. And it's just kind of like, you know, hunched over in the shower, just trying <laughs> to get it done with. So, so we've got like this pretty, um, it's pretty clear image of like what we, what we think of as masturbation for a lot of men. Um, and so I try and reframe that because masturbation has quite a lot of negative connotations, right? Get it over and done with. It's quite, you know, it's often involves porn or watching something. And it's, it's almost like this dirty little secret, right? For a lot of men. Mm. Um, so reframing that to, um, what I said before, which is self-pleasure is like the name kind of suggests it's whatever you yourself find pleasurable, you know, so, so it could be it doesn't even have to involve genital touch or genital stimulation. You know, that, that blows a lot of guys' minds when I, when I tell them that they can experience pleasure, sexual pleasure, without even touching their cock, you know, without even actually masturbating with their, that friction-based way that a lot of guys do. So you know, mm -hmm. finding something that you experience pleasure from is, um, is something that I encourage, right? And, and to continually explore what it is that you get pleasure from and to experiment and to do that as often as possible as often as you feel comfortable really without it interfering right without that caveat of of it interfering with other responsibilities because the more you do that um the more you know about your body the more you recognize that feedback the more you know what feels good for you what doesn't feel good for you and then by virtue of doing that your sex life particular is going to become way better because you're going to be able to communicate what it is that you want what it is that you don't want you're going to feel more comfortable in your own skin when you're being sexual with a partner and because of all that, you're going to then start to communicate more. You're going to ask them what they want, right? You recognize that there's some things that you don't like. Light bulb goes off for you. Oh, there's going to be some things that they don't like as well. Maybe I should ask them what it is that they don't like. Maybe I should ask them what it is that they do like. And then it starts to build this bit of momentum. So I like to, I like to say, even if you're in a relationship, right? A long-term monogamous relationship, uh, still set aside time to do some self-pleasuring, to learn about your own body, to pleasure yourself so that when you do be sexual with your partner you've got this good foundation you've got this good groundwork that's been laid for you to then explore and share that pleasure with another person mm. so if a person's not masturbating and you're, you're saying to you can you can get pleasure away from masturbating could you elaborate that on that a bit like how, how's that done like how do you just uh, create this pleasure in your head exactly yep so um like I said, there's a pretty, um, pretty uh, stereotypical way that we that we think about men and masturbation, right? It's that oftentimes friction-based, up and down, jackhammer-style way of of you know, just jerking off, you know? Yeah, um, and, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's pretty standard, you know. And um, and so if that's the only way that we 
have experienced any type of sexual pleasure by ourselves, then it becomes very, like it becomes almost hardwired for us to experience pleasure that way. You know, it's like mm. when we when we masturbate, particularly when we ejaculate as well, we're firing a lot of dopamine into the brain, and the dopamine um, it effectively it hijacks our reward circuitry. Right, something feels good, and we get rewarded by that that thing of of, of pleasure, that that good feeling. Um, that, that squirt of dopamine. And so we go, oh, that felt good. I want to do that again. Kind of similar to what you shared before, right? It's like something feels good. Oh, that was quite nice. I'm going to do that again because it feels really good. And then I'm going to do it again and again and again. And a teacher of mine likes to say about ejaculation that it's the first addiction, um, which is quite a, a intense way of kind of putting it. But it, it, it mm. almost is in a way, right? You're, you're doing the same thing to kind of get that reward at the end. For a lot of guys, that reward is that orgasm or ejaculation at the end of their their masturbation. You know, I'll, I'll often ask guys, when was the last time you masturbated or when was the last time you had sex and didn't come, didn't ejaculate? And, and guys just kind of look at me and go, what the fuck are you thinking? The <laughs> <laughs> point of the masturbation and sex is to, is to ejaculate, right? Um, so, uh, so I go, well, there's probably then, you know, here's some food for thought. Are you then, you know, addicted to ejaculation? Are you then... Uh, creating this pattern in your body, um, which every time you have this sexual uh, arousal experience, associating that with an ejaculation, you know, is is there probably this? You know, and and my, you know, this is a loaded question because I, I I reckon there is. There's this really strongly ingrained pattern that you've created in your body where every time you experience sexual pleasure, it has to be through that jerk off style masturbation accompanied by an ejaculation. So. The first thing is like, okay, cool. Let's experiment with you not ejaculating firstly, right? Let's, let's just take ejaculation off the table. And if that end goal, that end product has been taken off the table, what else is there to explore, right? If you're, if you're not trying to get to that finish line, if you're not trying to get to that ejaculation, what, what else can you do to feel pleasure? What else can you do to experience any type of sexual pleasure, sexual stimulation? And that's, that's kind of the first shift and the first piece of, um, information that I give to guys when I start to talk to them and, and, and coach them through changing yeah. from masturbation to, to self-pleasure is like, take that end goal off the table. Try not to be goal oriented with your sexual <laughs> experience, right? Don't yeah. treat it like a competition, right? I've got to get to this, you know, finish line as quickly as possible so I can come, um, start to just enjoy the journey rather than that, that destination. Um, and that's kind mm. of the first reframe that I give to guys when I yeah. start to tell them how they can experience pleasure without, uh, focusing on on one particular thing so a lot of guys and possibly women but we're going to focus on more men um watch a lot of porn from an early age it's like um from my day it was videotapes <laughs> obviously you can stream online now and it was like a limited amount of tapes which you could look at and then it gets to a point it's like yeah i think i've seen them all now but the streaming amount, that's got to be like unlimited. <laughs> um, so what's your thoughts on, on the connection of maybe masturbation and porn or just watching porn as a whole? What's, what, is there any, I don't know, after effects of watching too much porn? Sure, sure. So um, I kind of liken this to... Um, well, we'll start off with, with like the way porn has changed uh, over, over our kind of generation. I, I'm similar with you. The, my first experience with porn um, or sexually explicit like material was a deck of like hustler playing cards. <laughs> and I found in 
my dad's stash of stuff in his in his room and i was like fuck yeah this is like the shit right here and now there's you know i'm a click away from watching the most intense you know hardcore stuff imaginable so mm. like that shift in um it's kind of like the three a's i suppose is like the um availability right porn is like very readily available right now back in the day you know there'd only be like you said a certain amount of magazines or a certain amount of videotapes or a certain amount of hustler playing cards right now it's like super available um then it's like very very accessible now as well right like you would have had to go and purchase a, a dvd right from the from the adult video store or the section of the right? yeah. so you, you've got the like, top shelf yeah you've got to go there and actually do it right so um yeah. the porn now like you said can be streamed you can just go straight onto the internet without any parental blockages you're pretty much one click away right um mm. so it's very accessible and then there's the um anonymity side of things as well like you would have to physically show your face to buy something you know um if you needed to to watch porn you know there was there was a, a sense of like oh there's uh, like i'm i'm personally doing this now I, I i'm putting a face to my porn watching you know habits um, but mm. now we've got this anonymity where you can just you know stream something on a tube site like youtube and um and not even have you don't even need an account right to, to watch anything on your mainstream porn site so mm. because of those three a's um similar to other things that you know uh people are quote unquote addicted to uh, or can form a compulsive behavior towards stuff like gambling uh stuff like drinking you know things that kind of still hijack that reward secretary they feel fucking good and so we want to do them and because we get rewarded by doing them we want to do them again right um it, it, similar to porn mm. and now that um and now that we've kind of you know, explained the the framework for it um my opinion is yeah there are probably some detrimental um impacts of watching watching i would say too much porn right so my my opinion is that porn is a tool and just like a vibrator you know a sex toy vibrator is a tool um that can be overused to the point of reliance right we uh, there's there's probably plenty of evidence of of uh, and anecdotal evidence as well stories of women saying that they rely on their vibrator to orgasm they rely on their vibrator to experience you know pleasure um almost maybe to the point of uh, you know temporary numbness or temporary desensitization they kind of like numb out to it because it's quite intense mm. porn for me is is almost equivalent um for, for men for a lot of men which is when you're using it to the point where you rely on it where you need porn to feel any type of sexual arousal or you need it to to um for your masturbation or you need it for your pleasure and you can't self-pleasure or masturbate or experience a lot of arousal without it um and and maybe even you've, you've gotten to the point where it's kind of desensitized to it as well and you're like fuck i just need more of it now i need something that's a bit more intense maybe i need something that's a bit more hardcore or whatever it might <laughs> the softer core stuff's not doing it it's um that's when i that's when i say look it's becoming it's probably become a, a bit of an issue for you it's probably become something that you need to do some work on um mm. but with that with that in mind as as a tool right using it as a tool i think that there's ways that you can watch porn healthily um being mindful of the impact that it's having like i i, I talk to men about porn what i call porn literacy same as like media literacy it's like what messages are you getting from that porn right same thing as like if you watch a hollywood movie uh, where you know the superhero gets the girl it's like what do you what what messages are you getting from that right if, if you're watching that movie and that type of movie the hollywood romanticized you know way of thinking about 
um, relationships between men and women, what is that telling you about the way that you need to be um, as a man or as a father or as a uh, whoever it is, right? Whatever your whatever message you're getting from that. And oftentimes it's like what we shared before. You need to be that dominant, assertive uh, guy that shows no emotion, that gets the girl, that you know is confident and knowledgeable, all that sort of uh, all that sort of stuff, right? It's very boxed in. Mm. Porn's the same way. It gives you messages messages about what you're supposed to be like sexually. As a guy, you've got to have a big dick. You've got to be, uh, you know, you've got to just thrust and pump away nonstop because that's what women like. And you've got to like uh, last for an hour, you know, because the average porn movie is like you know 45 minutes to an hour. And so it gives you a lot of messages about what you're supposed to be as a man, right? Um, so it's like, okay, can you be aware of that firstly, and can you you know kind of filter that and recognize that it's entertainment firstly, like a Hollywood movie is, right? These are paid actors most of the time um and you know because of that they're they're chosen for a specific reason right there's 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 a reason why um danny d and kieran lee for example are in porn and you know your neighbor isn't it's because they've got huge cocks right and they they've got stunt penises you know it's the same reason why dwayne the rock johnson is in a lot of you know uh hollywood movies and i'm not because i'm not a fucking huge jacked Mari guy, you know, who's uh, uh, fantastic on screen, you know, um, not as photogenic. So there's, um, so there's, there's reasons behind all this, you know, and there's lots of camera angles and, you know, camera trickery and all this sort of stuff that is not taken into consideration um, when, a, when a person's watching porn. So it's like important to know about all that. Firstly, if you're using porn as a tool, right, which is what my uh, opinion is, is that you can use it healthily as a tool. But then it's also about like literally how are you using it as well? Like, are you, like I shared before, sitting at a computer screen, hunched over and just only focusing on what's in front of you and just kind of going through the motions, you know, just just jerking off, just wanking off and just kind of not even aware of what's actually happening in your body, right? When you're yeah. closed down and hunched over like that in a, in a seated position, you can't feel a lot, you know, like it's, it's, it's you're constricted, you're, you're closed down. Um, so I often tell guys very, very simple way of shifting the way that they use porn. Remember framing it as a tool is take your laptop, take your phone, take whatever it is that you're watching, pop it up on a shelf and stand up. And you know, that just that, you know, that simple act of standing up when you're masturbating, standing up when you're, uh, you know, touching yourself, watching porn, self-pleasuring, you start to become aware of how your body feels, right? When you're sitting down and you're hunched over. You don't feel a lot and, and you're very often, you know, you're using the same technique when you're masturbating, you know, guys will have one stroke and one hand that they, that they use when they masturbate and it's, and, and you're creating tension patterns in your body, right? If you do something over and over and over and over again, um, like a lot of guys will, when they masturbate, you just create this chronic tension pattern in your body. And when we have tension in our body, we feel less, right? That's a very simple way of like thinking about your body the more tight you are and the more constricted and closed down you are the less pleasure you'll feel so if you're watching porn like that you know only focusing on the screen in front of you close down your body then you're going to train yourself condition yourself to experience pleasure that way mm. and then when you start to have sex with your partner you're going to wonder why you know you, you when you're being sexual with them you're going to wonder why you're not feeling a lot of pleasure you're going to wonder why you're um struggling maybe to get an erection because you've been focusing on this particular way of of um experiencing pleasure so it becomes this this thing that you you, you train yourself to experience right I, I kind of frame it in a sporting way of masturbation and self-pleasure being practice 
and the sex with a partner being game day. <laughs> right. <laughs> practicing a certain way, and that's the way you're going to perform, you know, when you're being sexual with a partner. So, um, so I often tell guys, you know, when they're masturbating, put it on a, put their porn or whatever they're watching up on a, up on a shelf, up on a ledge, whatever it is, and stand up and start to move your body, start to really get into your whole, you know, your whole body. And not, and you know, when I say, you know, get into your whole body, just remember that just because you've got a cock, it doesn't mean that's all you are. It doesn't mean you're just a cock, you know, you <laughs> the whole body has has nerve endings in it your whole body can experience sensation right you can pinch your arm and you can feel the the sensation in your arm um same thing you can you can uh touch and caress your arm and feel pleasure from that uh and so you're not just yeah. your dick uh, i like to say you're you're one one big dick right? <laughs> from the tip of your head your whole body's one big dick so um so treat it as treat it as such uh, so that's that's like one way that i start to just help men shift the way that they're masturbating and using porn because i'm not i'm not anti-porn by any means but i think it's really important to just be aware of like the impact that it might be having on your sex life and on your sexuality and on your sexual experiences and then okay learning all right well maybe if it is having this impact i need to switch things up and change it and maybe use it a little bit more healthily yeah my my good rule of thumb i suppose is um use porn 20 percent of the time that you masturbate so if you're masturbating for an hour right if you're self-pleasuring for an hour then use porn for 20 percent of that hour right use it for i don't know what 20 percent of 60 minutes is 10 minutes whatever it might be um then um but then if you're like uh if you're masturbating maybe five times a week self-pleasuring five times a week you know use porn uh once during those five times you know so using it as a tool 20 percent of the time because you don't want to get to the point where a lot of guys are i feel of feeling reliant on that on that external stimulus, right? A lot of guys tend to outsource their pleasure, their arousal to whatever's mm. on screen in front of them. You know, they, they feel like, fuck, if I don't have the porn, nothing's happening. I've got no erection. I don't really feel turned on. Like I need that visual cue, that visual stimulus in order to feel arousal. And if you're at that point, then it's like, okay, you've probably got some work to do um, because your your arousal comes from, from you, right? Your, yeah. your arousal comes from within. Um, it's generated by you. It's not dependent upon, um, or at least my opinion is it shouldn't be dependent upon something that's in front of you. We can use that something that's in front to intensify and amplify and like, uh, build our arousal, but that arousal comes from, comes from us. And so like, if that's the way you're training yourself, the way that manifests then in your partnered relationship is you'll probably put a lot of pressure on your partner to look a certain way to experience a lot of pleasure to fake her orgasms particularly um because you're you're placing your pleasure in her basket right you're you're outsourcing your pleasure to her and a lot of guys you know this will ring true for them is they'll experience you know they'll only really experience pleasure for for them when they're having sex if their partner's like really experiencing looks like they're really experiencing pleasure mm. which you know is and there's a fine line there because it's it's wonderful to want to see your partner in their pleasure but when you become reliant on them that's when your partner will feel that pressure to be like oh god he's not going to you know enjoy himself if i'm not really getting into it and vocalizing <laughs> it screaming and all that sort of stuff so yeah um, so it becomes inauthentic right in that in that way so that's a tough situation really because like you know if for a guy if you're if you're having sex with your partner you as part of your arousal you want to 
you want to, it's a reciprocating thing. You want to know that they are enjoying themselves. You don't want to be like, I'm doing this just for me. It's almost like you want to do it for them kind of thing. So I, I you know, it's a bit tough. I understand what you're saying, but it's almost difficult to, to, to separate it, if you know what I'm saying. So you're there, you're giving a bit of oral and it's like, okay, I hear she likes it. Cool. Let me, let me continue. Let me, I've got it right. If you don't hear anything, it's almost like, well, I don't know if I'm being turned on right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, and that's where the that's where that conversation and and that's where that line needs to be to to be explored with your partner. It's like you want them to uh, you want them to experience pleasure, right? I think it's you know, we all uh, deep down want our partner to experience pleasure when they're being sexual with us, um, but we want their uh, their expression of pleasure to be authentic, right, and to be genuine. We don't want them to be putting it on um, because and and you know I've spoken to a lot of women about this that will tolerate uh sexual touch or tolerate a sexual experience from their partner so that example that you've just given me of um you know going down or, or performing oral uh you know, a lot of guys when they do maybe don't really know what they're doing aren't, aren't really that great at it but um to to uh, save his ego or to save his masculinity or to just not hurt his feelings and um and to you know keep the sex going uh women very often will not speak up and they'll, they'll, they'll go along with it and maybe they'll even uh, fake to some extent the pleasure that they're experiencing because, and there's, there's heaps of reasons why, but one of the reasons why is because, um, you know, they don't want to hurt his feelings. They, wanna, they don't want to make you know, him feel like that's, um, that he's done something wrong, for example, you know, we, uh, or they, you know, they're hoping that the sex is going to, you know, continue after the oral sex. So, and, and they think if they say something now, then he might stop being sexual. You know, there's, and then there's uh, this idea that, you know, again, this narrative that guys are supposed to be the ones that know what they're doing. And so a lot of women, if they're not feeling a lot of pleasure from what a guy is doing, they'll think something's wrong with them because, you know, the guy is supposed to be the knowledgeable, assertive guy who knows what he's doing in the bedroom. And I'm, the person who receives that from from a guy, and so I feel uncomfortable speaking up if I'm a, a woman in that situation. So, you know, th there's that, you know, and, and it's such a cliche, but there's that communication piece, which is such a key thing. You know, we always talk about communication in business and in the relationship and stuff, but where it's like really crucial is you know, sexual communication. You know, speaking up about what it is that you enjoy, speaking up about something that maybe you don't enjoy, and um, and so I, I teach a lot of guys. Uh, what I like to call sexual leadership, which is you know, not leading in that hierarchical kind of business oriented way of thinking about leadership, but leading by, uh, it's kind of like that horizontal leadership of like leading with uh, vulnerability and leading with, uh, you know, I guess like that equality in mind of being like, hey, this is you know, something that, that turns me on and, and kind of sharing from that place of uh, Brene Brown's definition of vulnerability, you know, that emotional exposure, taking the risk sharing something that, that turns you on or yeah. saying, actually, that doesn't turn me on, you know, having that kind of vulnerability to tell your partner, I'm not actually really enjoying that. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a pretty risky thing to do because you don't really know how it's going to be received and, um, and you're kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve. Mm. If you take that step and, and, you know, and step into that space of being like, Hey, this is what really turns me on. I would like to try this in the bedroom. You know, I'd like to try this for you to you. Um, something I'd be interested in doing. You know, I've been looking at that, whatever it is, you know, and you invite your partner into that space as well. If they go, whoa, this guy's 
comfortable talking about sex. He's comfortable asking for what he wants. He's comfortable kind of putting up his boundaries and saying he doesn't want to do that. You know, he's asking me what I find pleasurable as well. Maybe this is okay for me to share um, and to even share that they don't know what it is that they find arousing or, or, or what their boundaries are. It's like, okay, that's you know, not, a, not a problem. We could explore that. Like, how about we try a couple of things, see what you like and see what you don't like. Let's get some feedback. Let's learn a little something <laughs> about one another so yeah. that it's actually, um, so that so there's that, that genuine expression of pleasure, that authentic expression of pleasure, not not doing it for the sake of saving someone's ego or, or to get sex over and done with. That's another reason why um, women might want to fake orgasms is because they, they think, fuck, if I... If I, you know, get to orgasm quicker, if I pretend I'm orgasming, a lot of guys, when they see their partner experiencing like that heightened state of pleasure, come quicker, you know, and, um, and so if she fakes her orgasm and she gets to that point because she's just kind of like this sex is shit, I just want it over and done with, she'll get to that point um, where, where he makes it, makes him come quicker. And so sex is over quicker. So that's another reason why, you know, there's this faked, uh, faked heightened state of pleasure so um, but a lot of men don't know about that and what might be going on for their partners because um, there's a lot of a lot of stories that go unspoken right a lot of stuff that goes unacknowledged unrecognized um, yeah. yeah so it's that that communication part is so important very important so <clears throat> obviously uh, uh, when people have sex it's it's normally yeah there's there's that kind of end result where you're thinking all right I need to climax need to climax it has to happen soon and, and if it doesn't there's there's sometimes communication between um both partners like if the guy doesn't come the woman could be like oh my god like you didn't come like what did i do wrong and you know the other way around and it's turns into a goal as you put it but it's also said that you can have orgasms without actually ejaculating and stuff like that which I find quite intriguing. And I have to admit, I don't think I've experienced that. And uh, yeah, what's, what's the key to that? Do I need to like, I don't know, do some yoga or something? Or I don't know, <laughs> chanting in the woods. Like, how do I achieve that? What's, how's it done? A lot of like esoteric teachings out there for like, you know, how to have these tantric, non-ejaculatory orgasms. Um, but I think like, the way that I approach this and the way that I like to teach it is similar to what I shared before about ejaculation. You know, if you're, if you're having sex and every time you have sex, there's an ejaculation at attached to it, right? The, one of the things that you can do to just start to challenge that, um, assumption that you have, which is, you know, for, for a lot of guys, they assume that in order to finish sex, in order for sex to be complete, there's got to be an ejaculation at the end, right? That's, that's what we know, right? There's money from porn. There's, you know, you roll over, have a cigarette and go to sleep after you've ejaculated, right? Like that's the, that's the norm, right? That's what's been normalized. Um, so I encourage you to start off before even getting to that point of like, what it is that I have to do in order to have an orgasm without an ejaculation. First, set up the framework or set up the, the experience with your partner where you intentionally, right? You make the decision together not to ejaculate, right? You take ejaculation out of the equation, okay? So, and you'll notice when you do this that a bunch of stuff pops up like you've just shared a lot of women will go fuck what's you know what's wrong with me am i not hot enough am i not doing that thing that he likes am i not you know am i not doing that thing that he's seen in porn that he wants you know and there's a lot of self-worth stuff that comes up for a lot of women when you take ejaculation you know off the table oftentimes 
you know, this is done really unintentionally when a guy's had too much to drink, right? Maybe some guys will relate to this. This is definitely true for me when I was in my heavy drinking days where I just couldn't come, right? I couldn't, you know, I, I could last all night because I'd had too much to drink, you know? And, mm. um, and oftentimes that brings up a lot of stories unintentionally, but, you know, setting up a, a framework to do it uh, purposefully with your partner can be really helpful for challenging those stories. Um, and then, uh, you know, for, for guys not ejaculating, um, the story is well, sometimes can be, uh, you know, what's, what's wrong with me? Why the fuck can't I come? You know, what's, 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 you know, if, if it's done really unhealthily with the drinking, for example, it's like, fuck, I did it again. I, I had too much to drink or whatever it might be, but there's a story of like, something's wrong with me. And then, you know, your partner, she's probably got a story. What's wrong with me as well. So there's, there's two people blaming themselves. And then a secondary story often comes after that, which is, um, you know, oh, the guy goes, no, there's nothing fucking wrong with me. It's, it's her. She's not hot enough. She's not, uh, she hasn't done that thing that I like, or she's not enjoying herself enough or whatever it is. Right. And then she has the same kind of secondary story, which is, no, there's nothing wrong with me. Something's wrong with him. He's a, he's had too much to drink or he's, he's, he can't come. There's something you know weird. He's, there's something wrong with that guy. So we get this scenario where we've got this self blame and then we've got that shaming of the other person. So creating a space where you can like intentionally challenge those those assumptions and those beliefs um, is really important. And, and that's the first kind of step is just reframing your um, your experience to yeah. be okay to not ejaculate. Like that's the first thing because your body is just going to go through the, the motions, right? When it comes to ejaculation, you, if you've ejaculated every single time you've masturbated, every single time you've had sex, you've got, a, you know, this is just a fact you've got a strongly ingrained pattern in your body of mm. sexual experience equals ejaculation right that you've created that association that, that pattern in your body so start experimenting with those heightened states of pleasure those peak states of arousal without the ejaculation associated with it that's the first step. okay just to pause right there you're having so much fun having sex and it gets to the point where you feel it how do you not feel it <laughs> what are you supposed to stop? Is is that is that the, I don't know the, uh, is that a part of the training to get to that point to stop? Um, because naturally it's going to happen. Both of you are embracing. You're feeling good. You, you know, it feels good. You know, and you might not even want to ejaculate at that point. Anyway, it might be too early. You're like, okay, shoot. Like, what am I going to do? All right. I need you know um so you know you're trying to shift from that into this new frame of mind okay what's 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 the beginning to to start moving into that direction yeah yeah you you pretty much hit the nail on the head man the first thing is stop stop stimulating right it's and this is why um i often tell couples that um we call it kind of seminal retention right which is like not ejaculating so retaining your semen um, uh, sometimes called continence is, um, is a couple's practice, right? Because you want to set up that space where, you know, you're being sexual with them and you're getting maybe to that point of ejaculation and you're like, oh, I need to, I need to slow down. Right. I even need to stop completely. But if they're, if partner's not on board and they just kind of keep on going, then you're like, well, I, I've just, you know, I've, I've blown, I've, I've, my, 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 my top's been popped, you know? So, um, <laughs> So it needs to be a, a couple's communication, again, communication practice there. So if you're getting to that point where you're like, you know, I often try and tell guys to use a, a, um, a, a scaling system, you know, a rating system of one to 10. 
one being like not aroused at all, 10 being ejaculation, kind of nine, 9.5 being that inevitability of like, fuck, no matter what I do, I'm going to come, right? And then 10 being ejaculating. It's mm. like, can you bring yourself up to an eight? Can you bring yourself up to a nine? Can you bring yourself up to a 9.4 just before that 9.5? And, um, and, and then can you stay there as well? You know, so you know, once you've gotten to that point, can you tell your partner, hey, well, I need to, I need to back off here. If I keep going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. You know, we made a, you know, a, a decision together. To <laughs> An agreement. Agreement, <laughs> yeah. That's and and you, you, know, you, you kind of um, did it intuitively there, but you know, take a deep breath, slow down. You know, when, when we get to that point of, uh, of heightened arousal, bordering on ejaculation, like what are some characteristics of ejaculation, right? I, and this is something that, that I um, that I share with a lot of guys in the workshops that I do is, you know, when we when we ejaculate, the physical symptoms, if you want to call it that, or the physical characteristics of an ejaculation is uh, elevated heart rate, right? The heart rate goes up. Uh, we we tense and we tighten up in our body, right? We, it's called myotonia, it's muscle tension. Uh, we uh, usually shift our breath up into our chest, into our thorax sometimes even into our clavicles and sometimes even hold their breath when they're coming. Uh, and there's, right. it's, almost, it's almost like a, a, a grimace, right? There's a, there's a fascinating, um, fascinating website called, uh, um, beautiful agony. And it's like got all these, it's just all faces of people, uh, coming men, women, everyone else. Uh, and a lot of those faces look like they're in pain, right? It looks like they're, <laughs> agony right that's the the whole idea of the the website and so i and i i do workshops where i show people who are in actual pain you know um and then i show these these faces of people that are ejaculating and a lot of times guys can't tell the difference so i often i often say because you know we're elevating our heart rate the breath goes into the chest we tense the body up we kind of grimace and squint and push and squeeze for that ejaculation all those all those symptoms all those characteristics are characteristics of heightened sympathetic nervous system response right or stress response and and in a way an ejaculation is you know like if we if we took all those characteristics those ejaculation characteristics and we applied them if you just saw a guy walking down the street right down down the other end of the road you saw a guy all of a sudden he's tensed up he's squeezing his he's holding his breath his heart rate goes up his temperature goes up as well because of that and he's kind of pushing and squeezing you'd think that guy's having a, a an episode like a panic attack right and and in and in a way ejaculation because it's a sympathetic nervous system response is a is a is a pleasurable panic attack so one of the ways that i one of the ways that i tell guys to to kind of shift from um from an ejaculation to a heightened state of pleasure or you know what we would call an orgasm is think of those characteristics that happen when you ejaculate and do the opposite right so instead of holding holding your breath or tightening up and squeezing and uh shooting the heart rate up shooting the temperature up can you slow down the breath drop the breath from the thorax down into the diaphragm mm -hmm. right, a lot of yoga teachers will tell you to do some belly breathing um but can you just slow the breath down and deepen the breath into the diaphragm diaphragmatic breathing can you relax your body so rather than tightening up and squeezing and trying to push for an ejaculation can you relax and let go and and you know allow the muscles to just kind of um to, to release and mm. instead of um instead of the heart rate kind of going up can you just by virtue of releasing and slowing down and relaxing can you allow the heart rate to drop a little bit and then um 
and then notice, notice what happens when you do that, right? And, and yeah, you'll, it'll, it'll interrupt the flow of things when you first start to do it because it, that's just what happens, right? Because we're so used to just building steam, building steam, building steam. And then you know, a teacher of mine likes to call it like balloon sex, right? You just blow the balloon up and up and up and up and up. The tension builds and builds and builds and builds until it pops. Right? That's a very standard way that a lot of people, a lot of men particularly, have sex. So to feel a little bit awkward to start with to kind of stop that balloon from, from expanding. Um, but by slowing down, by breathing, by stopping stimulating as well, or by shifting where you're stimulating, right? Because a lot of guys, when they're just only focusing on their cock, you know, they'll usually get to ejaculation pretty quickly if you're just mm. focusing on your cock. But if, you know, if you start to think what I've, you know, about what I've shared before with you can experience pleasure across your whole body, if you shift that touch or that stimulation or that you know, sensation that you're getting to maybe your chest, to your shoulders, to your neck, to other areas of your body that you also find pleasurable, then you can keep that pleasure going um, without it being directly stimulating to to your cock, which is, is probably going to push you over that, that edge to ejaculation. We're just going to take a short break and return right back. This podcast is brought to you by Keon Aminos. Amino acids are the catalyst for nearly every physiological function, including protein synthesis. Unlike branch chain amino acids, which only use three amino acids, Keon aminos comprise of nine essential amino acids. A deficiency in one of them would have detrimental effects on muscle preservation. Keon aminos have bioavailability and are clean. They don't have any artificial additives or preservatives. If you're looking to preserve muscle whilst losing body fat, then these are incredible. Check getkeon.com forward slash snipes aminos. That website link again is getkeon.com forward slash snipes aminos and use coupon code snipes20 and get 20% off at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Clearlight Infrared Sauna. If you want the ultimate biohack, then this is it. Clearlight Infrared Sauna has state-of-the-art heating technology to produce optimal wavelengths of 360 degrees infrared heat. Traditional saunas raise the temperature from the air, but infrared saunas raise your temperature from the core. The results is deeper tissue penetration. This is the perfect way to remove toxins. It promotes healing, revitalization, penetrates fat cells, and stimulates metabolism. Clearlight Saunas is energy efficient, costing up to 45p per hour, virtually close to no EMF and low ELF technology. They also use eco-certified wood, so no toxic fumes when heated. You also get a lifetime warranty on a residential sauna. If you'd like to learn more about Clearlight Saunas or pick one up for yourself, then just click the link in the show notes and check it out. I think a lot of guys probably need to explore their bodies a bit more to know other areas where, where they actually feel some kind of pleasure. I think, mm. you know, you, you just said that, you know, other areas of your body where you feel pleasure. I think guys might think, 
are there other areas? <laughs> they might mainly only know there, which is the reason why when it comes to sex, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, just focus on ejaculation or even the, the jackhammer style jerking, as you put it earlier. Um, but yeah, the actual orgasm itself without climax, like how's that achieved exactly? Did you, did you actually say how it's achieved? No, so there's there's a couple of ways that you can think about this, right? So um, I I like the analogy of a, of a sponge, right? So I when I when I coach a guy to have a what's called a non ejaculatory orgasm, right? So an orgasm that doesn't include a an ejaculation, because the, the first piece of information you need to know is that, like I said, ejaculation is a sympathetic nervous system response, right? It's that mm, right. that uh, heightened state of, of arousal, arousal being um, a sympathetic um, a sympathetic response from the body, uh, fight mm -hmm. or flight or stress response. The um, orgasm or the heightened state of pleasure, on the other hand, is a parasympathetic response in the body, right? And and so sexual arousal and sexual experience is this beautiful interplay between the sympathetic and parasympathetic branches of the nervous system. Um, so, so that's important to note because when we're experiencing um, an ejaculation, we're triggering the sympathetic nervous system, right? It's a it's it's a um, particular nerve called the pudendal nerve, which is part of the sympathetic nervous system. So we're really wanting to switch nerve systems then and, and start to engage the parasympathetic nervous system. And, and similar to what I shared before, the way that you do that is by relaxing, right? The, right. the fight or flight response, which is the sympathetic nervous system, um, is, is known as the rest and digest response in the parasympathetic branch. Um, and so it's the, the, the place that you enter when you're doing some meditation or some uh, some some deep breathing and things like that. So, if you are able to maintain your parasympathetic nervous system response and not engage your sympathetic nervous system, you 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 won't come. You won't ejaculate because you're completely bypassing that reflex in the body, right? Mm -hmm. The the ejaculation reflex. So that's like the neurological explanation, right? Seems simple, yeah. right? Seems super simple. Um, Seems yeah. In, <laughs> yeah. in practicality, it's a little bit different, right? Because we have all of these things going on for us. So. Um, so yeah. the analogy that I like to like to to use here, um, which comes from a teacher of mine, um, his name is Nick Spadaccini, is um, is the analogy of a sponge. Right, the human body is like a sponge, and just like the just like a sponge soaks up water, uh, the human body soaks up tension, right? And and it, it, tension is not a bad thing, right? You know, engineers will tell you tension is important, right? Uh, sex coaches like myself will tell you that sexual tension is important, um, you know, that, to to add to that chemistry, to add to that attraction, mm -hmm. but when we have, you know, like a waterlogged sponge, we have a tension-logged body. We have this unconscious, this stagnant, static tension that we just build up in our body from just our day-to-day -day lives, you know, from the way that we sit, from the way that we breathe, uh, from the notifications in our phone that keep binging off. You know, there, there's things that keep us in a state of um, tightness and tension. So if we're going to, you know, experience... And I kind of think of this as like we're in a constant state of arousal. You know, we're in a constant state of sympathetic nervous system dominance. You know, I think it's 97 plus percent of people are predominantly in their sympathetic nervous system, right? Because we're just kept at alert all the time. Um, we're kept in our fight or flight response for the most for most of our life. So, um, so we've got this like sponge that's just soaked full of that arousal, full of that tension, right? When we then go to have a sexual experience, particularly with our partner, we're trying to pour some more, you know, we're trying to pour sexual tension onto that sponge, right? We're trying to pour more water, more 
arousal and more um, more sensation into that 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 sponge, and and we're trying to pour more tension into our body. Yeah, but we're already at our capacity. We're already tension locked. We're already water locked. And so we and so we leak. The sponge overflows, and 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 our body overflows. And the way that looks like for men is an ejaculation. Right? We 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 overflow. Um, so in order to in order to, for that not to happen, in order for you to like experience all that pleasure that's being put into your body, um, so it has somewhere to go, you need to, uh, like that sponge, you need to wring the sponge out. You need to squeeze all of that tension and all of that water out of that sponge. You need to do the same thing to your body. You need to rid yourself as, uh, of as much of that stagnant, unconscious tension as possible. Mm-hmm. The way that you do that is by applying conscious kinetic tension, right? So you, 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 you're physically wringing out a sponge it's the same thing that you do with your body. You apply, like a perfect example of this is getting a massage, right? You've got a, 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 a knot, you know, stagnant tension um, in your, your shoulders or your back, whatever it is. You go pay someone, right, to do a massage on you who uses conscious kinetic, right? It's conscious, it's intentional. They're doing it, you know, for a purpose and it's kinetic, it's movement-based. Um, and they're moving that tension that's stagnant in your body. They're dispersing it, they're releasing it, they're wringing out that sponge. So you can do the same thing for your own body um, and this is all like, I kind of think of this as like the preparation work, right? Before you even start to experience any type of sexual pleasure, you got to do all this work beforehand. That's, you know, and it can look like doing yoga, can look like doing meditations, it can look like getting a massage, but whatever you can to release that tension from your body. So you've actually got something to work with, right? So you've got like an, a, a dry sponge that you can pour lots of sexual tension into. Um, right, or right. sexual arousal into that's the first the first step in that whole coaching journey um and then you want to i guess and i kind of shared this before but you want to spend as much time as possible in that heightened state of arousal so like i like i was kind of said before people get to well men particularly kind of keep blowing the balloon up and, and until it pops right that's that's their method of having sex is they'll just keep on going and going and going and going and going until they come um there's no notion of plateauing or maintaining um a, a certain level of pleasure you know they'll 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 go from uh from one to five and then from five to eight and then from eight to ten real quickly they'll they'll just kind of go through and they'll they'll blast through all those levels um so something that i really encourage you to do uh, and again this is like you know you've, you've done your preparation work you've got you've done your stretching right you've relaxed <laughs> and now yeah. you're doing your this year your, your training and um and the training is like okay how can i maintain that that heightened level of arousal without spilling over into ejaculation right so um so i guess there's plenty of ways that you can do that um one of the ways that i teach is by slowing down your stimulation like heaps so um focusing instead of like on up down big long stroking um you know, jackhammer style masturbation, change the way that you, you stimulate your cock, focus on specific areas like the frenulum, which is the underside of the, um, underside of the head of your cock, kind of where the, uh, your, the, the head of your cock is connected to your foreskin. Um, mm-hmm. so focus on that. It's quite usually quite sensitive for a lot of guys. Um, so like, you know, very lightly stimulate that. It's, it's actually got a lot of soft touch nerve endings in it, which means that the lighter you touch and the more sensitive you are, um, with your touch, the the more you'll feel, the more pleasure you'll get from it. Um, so there's there's encouragement there to kind of explore your body a little bit. You know, maintain that heightened level of arousal um, by 
by switching up the way that you're macerating pretty much if the way that you've been isn't <clears throat> that part there that that's like the most sensitive part as far as i'm concerned like i've touched that part many times <laughs> over the years <laughs> and that's i don't know I, I i would almost say although i wouldn't have been able to experience it myself i would say it's almost like the 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 clitoris part for the man on his penis like it's such a sensitive part that particular part right there i've just stroked it i'm like wow just stroking it it feels great and it's like if, if i was to lay on my back and i was to stroke it it's like i could like levitate i could just so the moment i stroke it it's like my dick will just like raise up like following my hand you know yeah. you know it's almost like a game you know um but yeah that part right there whoo yeah feels very sensitive and 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 so like play play with that you know play with maintaining that sensitivity you know, because uh i guess when you're when you're just doing that jackhammer style masturbation oftentimes you'll you'll go from zero to 100 without kind of really noticing right you you mm. um and a lot of guys like i said will, will breeze through all of those levels of arousal but when you're focusing on something that's like really quite sensitive um that gives you quite a lot of you know pleasure you can um way more easily kind of move through those because you're feeling a lot more you you can move through those levels and, and maintain those levels a little bit easier um and mm. there and like there's a whole whole host of things that can kind of happen when you start to go through this process awesome um, awesome but the but the yeah the 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 crux of that is like you know try and stay in that heightened state and get familiar with it right um that's the that's the the biggest thing you like going back to that sporting analogy you want to you want to um you want to train in 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 a in, in a um you know peak level right you don't want to train in a in a low level you want to try you know train at that that peak um peak state i suppose because uh, that's the way you want to then have sex you know you want, to, cool. you want to make sure that you're experiencing a lot of pleasure when you're when you're having sex so um the longer you can stay in that and and this is sometimes called edging or surfing or you know <laughs> um, you're kind of walking that edge of ejaculation right you're getting up to that really heightened state and you're kind of like keeping yourself there, maintaining it, um, and not kind of allowing yourself to go over that edge to ejaculation. Your body gets familiar, right, uh, with that heightened state of pleasure, without an ejaculation being associated with it, right. And then you'll and what you'll notice is in and to kind of like stop things and to to um, to finish that ma masturbation or to even finish the sex that you're having, you know, because you'll be so used to going well, I just need an ejaculation. And then, you know, the ejaculation is kind of like this peak and then a quick drop, right? And you'll, and you'll, you know, and, and it's kind of over. Mm -hmm. What you'll notice is when you're maintaining that level of heightened level of arousal for say five, 10, 15, 20 minutes is when you stop, you'll, you'll feel like really charged up. You feel like really quite energized. And so slowing down takes a while, you know, to you, that, that plateau starts to really take its time to slow back down and to, and to get back down to like a two or a one. Mm. as opposed to ejaculation which goes like 10 and then straight down to a one pretty much right <laughs> after as you enter that refractory period so that's where doing a lot of like breathing and slowing down and even using some um even even using that energy to do something else you know a, a lot of times um it can be really powerful to go for a run right after that or to go do some physical exercise or to just do some push-ups and star jumps when you've like built all that sexual energy up in your body and you've got all of that like kind of tension that's kind of ready to go somewhere if you go and do something physical right after that watch how harder you push watch how much more energy you have when you do that physical exercise and that's one of the ways of just kind of 
I guess you call it like discharging all that energy that's kind of been built up as you like using it for something <clears throat> other than other than ejaculation. And that's um, that gets down into the kind of more spiritual side of things where you're talking about sublimation and using sexual energy for other stuff. But it's a, right. a really powerful way of like just starting to create that disassociation between ejaculation and heightened state of pleasure. And and all that is, you know, that can take, I mean, it took me kind of to figure it out. I had no one really teaching me. It took me a good maybe five years to really figure that out. Right. Okay. Yes. So the good thing about it is it's, a, it's an ongoing journey, right? Like you'll have sex for the rest of your life and, um, and you'll get to practice as many times as you like. So, um, so that's like the first one, one and two portions of that whole practice. And then, you know, then you're getting to like the real nitty gritty details of like, okay, I'm at that point. I want to get to that, you know, orgasm, um, without ejaculation, the real specifics, the, the, the biggest thing I'll say to this and like the, the, the key that kind of really helped me was um, maintaining that, that level of arousal, that heightened level of arousal, and then um, take your stimulation away. So you're, you're, um, and, and maybe some guys might know how this feels, but like if you're, if you're masturbating and you're like, you're stimulating yourself quite quickly and then you take your hands away really quickly uh, and go from like a lot of stimulation to like no stimulation, you'll notice like a, a bit of like fluttering or a bit of like uh, throbbing or tingling like mm -hmm. in, your, in your pelvic floor um, in the, in the perineum, that space in between your, your genitals and your anus. That, that, that little um, twitching or tingling or throbbing is, that's your orgasm. That's what I would say is the start of your orgasm, right? That um, is what's going to expand when you finally do ejaculate and have an orgasm with an ejaculation. But if you can build those the, those twitchings and those um, trembling and, and the, that throbbing um, by maintaining that level and then by also breathing and doing some other pelvic floor squeezing exercises and, and a whole bunch of other things that you, know, you could experiment with and explore, you can start to build those sensations um, which get to the point where they become involuntary and you trigger that orgasmic response in your body rather than the ejaculation response as well. Um, so that's mm -hmm. like the... That's, I, I, I guess that's the easiest way I'd be able to describe it. There's, there's heaps of little things you do in, in and around that whole practice, but that's kind of what you're doing is you're expanding those little twitching sensations that you kind of notice when you take that stimulation away. You, you're building those to, to have that orgasm without the ejaculation reflex being associated with it. That's really interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, yeah, definitely something worth practicing. <laughs> Five years, five years. Oh, wow. Wow. So it's not a case of like, okay, just a, a few sessions and you're in. <laughs> um, it was five years for me because I had no one guiding me. Right. <laughs> right yeah. I, and I've, I've done this with, with plenty of guys. And um, for me, I reckon I can get it down and teach a guy in about six months. So to get right. it really where it's intentional, because oftentimes what happens is you're doing all this kind of stuff and it, and it becomes a bit of a happy accident. Like you just go, whoa, whoa, that was, that just kind of happened. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of playing around and just experimenting. And then all of a sudden, whoa, I had this non-ejaculatory orgasm. And like, I can tell you, you know, that this is possible and that it's real and that whatever, but it isn't until you experience it in your own body that you go, okay, I understand now it actually, this is how it actually feels. This is what, you know, this is, my body knows that it's an actual real thing. Cause you can conceptualize it and, and understand it intellectually, but until you understand it experientially, 
it's like, whoa, okay, this is, you know, my body now knows that this is a real thing. And then I can start to pursue that a little bit more. So oftentimes the first time it happens is just, you know, I can give you the tools for it, but you got to do the, the work and, and, and experiment and play. And then all of a sudden it just kind of happens like, whoa, wow, that's, that was you know amazing. And now I know kind of what it feels like. I know where to kind of head. So um, with mm. the, with the uh, I guess uh, maybe this is a, a plug for my, a shameless plug for my own coaching, but if you're like keen to do that in a shortened amount of time and you actually want to learn it properly, um, yeah, I coach guys through it in about six months. That's cool, man. That's cool. I'll get your details at the end anyway, maybe for coaching for myself. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I want to, you know, as we're talking about this whole thing about just, you know, holding back and, um, you know, releasing at the right time, but just ultimately being able to control it. Uh, there seems to be a thing about the whole retention, you know, just semen retention. Um, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What's the benefits of doing it anyway? Yeah, cool. So the, the, um, the first thing I say about like semen retention is what I've already kind of said about ejaculating is mm. if you have created that pattern in your body of every time you're sexual, you ejaculate, then you know, it's worth experimenting with not doing that to, to see what else there is. So that's the first kind of benefit I, I coin with regards to semen retention, right? Or, or ejaculation retention is just experiment and notice what else there is. Um, but then we can start to look at like the more, um, let's say physiological benefits of, of not ejaculating, right? And there's, um, there's a few scientific studies out there, which I'll, you know, um, I suppose use as, as evidence to kind of back this up. But when we, when we ejaculate, right, every time I've said this before, we ejaculate, we trigger our sympathetic nervous system, you know, so we're, we're triggering that fight or flight response, the anxiety response in our body, you know, so, if, and if we're constantly, constantly doing that, then we're always triggering that sympathetic nervous system response. It's going to be more and more difficult for us to settle down and to slow into our parasympathetic nervous system. It's going to continue that sympathetic dominance. What about guys that just fall asleep immediately afterwards? <laughs> and this is the this is that uh, like beautiful way that we can use like ejaculation as well as a as a tool, right? Not only is you know, like I said, porn a tool, but ejaculation is a tool as well. Right? Mm -hmm. We can use it to um, to get rid of that shit we've been holding onto. You know, a lot of a lot of guys um, they'll come home from a hard day's work. They'll you know pop some porn on or, or, you know, jerk one off. And afterwards they're like, Oh, thank God. And, and they'll, they'll go to sleep afterwards. Right. Cause they've kind of had that, that baggage or whatever they've been holding onto is just kind of been flushed out. They've kind of released it. Um, yeah. And this is the, this is the beauty of using ejaculation like intentionally and, and starting to learn about it um, is that you can use ejaculation specifically for that. You can be like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to set up the, the time to like ejaculate intentionally and make this <laughs> ejaculate and i'm gonna and use it to get rid of all that shit i've been holding on to you know i've got i've got um there's a and there's there's a reason for this you know there's a reason why that actually works and why a lot of guys might have actually done that maybe unintentionally or or they they've just kind of gone through the motions and that's just kind of how they felt it's because you know when we can look at this from uh, i'll use a couple of different sources to kind of back this up but you know we we can look at it from traditional chinese medicine right and ayurveda as well so these these ancient ancient uh sciences ancient wisdoms of ejaculation being connected to uh in traditional chinese medicine this uh energy called jing which is one of the three energies that govern our body the other being qi and shen uh, in ayurveda we've got uh ejaculation connected to ojus uh which is uh, again 
kind of essential energy, life-giving energy, the other two in Ayurveda being prana and tejas. But this jing and ojas that these two, you know, independent philosophies and, and you know, ancient teachings talk about is the densest of those three energies, right? In both of those scenarios, this like jing and ojas is like this really uh, heavy, dense, hard to move substance that we have in our body. And um, because it's really, really heavy and really dense, it falls down to the lower part of our, of our body. It falls down into, our, into a, what's called our pelvic bowl or in traditional Chinese medicine, they would call it like the lower dantian or the lower cauldron. Ayurveda would call it the, uh, the lower energy center or the lower grunthi. Uh, and so we've got like this, um, and this jing ojas energy is, uh, it, it's essential, right? It's, it's sometimes called essence. And uh, we, we need it, according to these philosophies, to exist, right? We need this essence. Otherwise, we, we cease to have any existence. Um, and so we use it every single time we create something, you know, we, we create a meal, we create a conversation, we create life. You know, every time we create something, we use this, this essential energy. And so it's really connected to our reproductive fluids. Um, for, for women, it's, re it's connected to their, their menstrual fluid. For men, it's connected to their seminal fluid. So every time we quote unquote lose our reproductive fluids, we lose some of that energy, right? Because it's bound to that, that creative fluid that we have to, to create life potentially um but because it's really dense and because it's connected to our our ejaculate we can start to look at like this um law of vibration right so ev everything is pretty well known everything around us vibrates right everything at an atomic level is is vibrating and the like even even thoughts and sounds right things that we can't see physically are still vibrating um and so we can look at this heavy, dense energy, according to traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, is going to vibrate because it's really dense and really heavy. It's going to vibrate at a really low frequency, right? Things that are more dense vibrate at a low frequency. And when we start to think, oh, okay, if it's vibrating really low, then it's, you know, according to the law of resonance, and, and you can speak to any musician about the law of resonance, right? Something that's vibrating at one frequency is going to resonate with or attract or vibrate with something else that's at the same frequency, right? So we've got this really low vibration, ojus, tejus, ejaculation. Um, and we've got this like other low vibration things. Um, we can think of as like, you know, you know Dr. Hawkins um, had this like, you know, consciousness scale where he measured the vibration of specific emotions from things like anger and frustration and jealousy to joy and happiness and you know um all these other um you know, whole scale of it so he found that like the the quote-unquote negative emotions of frustration anger jealousy envy all vibrate really low on his scale of one to one thousand they that like vibrate in the 20s and 30s so and we can think of this as like our emotional baggage right like the stuff that's fucking weighing us down and we can then say well then if we've got ejaculation you know connected to this um, Jing Ojas energy vibrating really low, it's going to resonate with and attract other really low vibrational shit, our emotional baggage, our, our frustration, anger, fear, all that sort of crap. Mm. It's like, okay, well, if we're getting rid of ejaculation when we ejaculate, then we're getting rid of that Jing Ojas energy. We're getting rid of everything that's attached to it, all the stuff that's been vibrating and resonating along with it. So that's why, you know, we can, you know, I guess that's all the framework for then like recognizing that you can use ejaculation 
in that really intentional way to just fuck off all that stuff, you know, to, to cleanse and, and to, to get rid of it with all the emotional baggage that's been weighing you down. And so some guys do that, you know, unknowingly. They're just like, yeah, I'm just going to come after a hard day's work because it makes me feel better. It makes me go to sleep. And that, that's because you, you're ridding yourself of all that crap that's been, you've been holding on to. Um, and so that's one way of like starting to, to think about ejaculation a little bit differently and using it a bit more intentionally um, or, or just connecting to it a little bit more, you know, rather than just kind of going through the motions and, and just ejaculating and then getting a tissue or a towel and just wiping it up and, and never thinking about it again. You know, there's, there's, um, it's, it's a way of building a bit of a stronger relationship with your own body um, mm. from a bit more of a, that's the, again, going down that more spiritual side of things. Um, but we can think of it like, um, we can also think of it like uh, the, when we start to abstain or we start to, you know, take a break from ejaculating within about seven days, what we start to see is a bit of a spike in testosterone. So we've, we've um, got maybe, I think there's two studies that have been done on this. Very, very hard to study um, you know, these types of things from a scientific point of view, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to point to this as well, where about a week after retaining or not ejaculating, you'll notice a bit of a surge in energy. A lot of guys, when they start to practice this, will notice about a week later, kind of feel a little bit juiced up. Their libido kind of comes back a little bit, kind of feeling quite horny, quite energized, and they they have a little bit of that surge in testosterone. And, and we can see it on a graph as well. There's a bit of a, uh, a spike in serum level testosterone, which is super interesting. Um, and then we kind of think about the, the mechanics of what happens when we ejaculate as well, you know, um, internally in the body is we get these three uh, neurochemicals or neurotransmitters get released when we ejaculate. We've spoken about one of them, which is dopamine, right? When we, when we come, we get this flood of dopamine into the brain. The other two uh, is oxytocin and prolactin, right? So when we come, we not only feel really good, but we also release this oxytocin, which is our pair bonding chemical, which makes us, you know, some, some people know it as the love chemical, the love drug. So creating this connection with whatever we're ejaculating around, right? So if we're ejaculating with our partner, oxytocin's released, we're creating a bit of connection with our partner. If we're watching porn and we're ejaculating in front of porn, we're creating a connection with whatever it is, is is on the screen in front of us, that particular porn star, <laughs> right. scenario, whatever it is, right? Where where um, you know, oxytocin is part of a pair bonding um, you know, relationship. So we're pair bonding with whatever's, whatever's in our space. Mm. Um, and then uh, the prolactin is um, what's responsible for our refractory period. So the prolactin kind of spikes just after an ejaculation, not exactly at the point of ejaculation, but just a, a, a few moments afterwards. And prolactin is... If you're familiar with it in the female body, it's what produces, um, well, it's what makes the, the female body produce uh, breast milk, lactating, um, hence prolactin. Uh, but in the male body, it's responsible for that period of time after you've come that you don't want to come again or that you can't come again. Right? It makes you feel satiated is what it's about. It's making, it inhibits your sexual desire. It, it inhibits your arousal. So every time you're ejaculating, you're you know, getting this spike in three neurochemicals, bang, 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 oxytocin, prolactin, dopamine, and then what goes up must come back down again, right? You've flooded your brain with all these stores of, um, you know, these three neurotransmitters. And then the next day or maybe later that afternoon or later that night, whatever it is, you'll notice that you feel a little bit depleted. You feel a little bit of a, of a slump. You, you probably like, you know, the, yeah. you, that dopamine has been used up, right? So you feel a little bit like oh, lethargic afterwards, or you sometimes this is known as an ejaculation hangover because your you, your stores of dopamine and oxytocin, things that make you feel really good, have been used up for that 
specific ejaculation and they might take you know there's things you can you can do with your diet if you're healthy those things will get replenished quite quickly but if you're leading a, a, a relatively unhealthy lifestyle it'll take a little while for those stores of dopamine and oxytocin to get replenished um so you you kind of watch it on a graph it goes up and then they just kind of plummet and they go back down because you've just flooded the brain with all those three neurotransmitters so if you're ejaculating frequently that graph is going to look like this roller coaster of going up and down up and down up and down you know spiking when you ejaculate and then going back down when you're not and then the next day you spike again and so you're getting this um you know we talk about uh, in the biological field homeostasis quite a lot about coming to this balanced even keel um a place for your body um you know, biologically hormonally um if you're ejaculating all the time you're you're going up and down you're, you're really not coming into that beautiful balanced um you know, even keel space and you know, on a graph what it, you know, it takes you know, if we map it out it takes about 21 days 14 to 21 days for those levels to come back to an even keel for them to come back to a, um, a nice balanced level so that's why i usually say take about you know 14 to you know to 21 days two to three weeks of not ejaculating to notice how your body feels by not ejaculating notice what's going on for you i usually say don't worry about going longer than that because um, not much really changes after about a month um, of not ejaculating but <laughs> right right okay notice how you feel notice how you feel and those things and then you know like i said use ejaculation intentionally as a tool you know set aside some time where you go Fuck, today i'm gonna come i'm gonna set aside that that time with my partner to ejaculate and make it a really beautiful thing to share with your partner rather than just this thing that just happens every single time that you um, have sex make it something that you can you can share this ejaculation um that's at least one of my philosophies anyways is teaching guys how to just connect to that to almost like to the ritual of ejaculation right like women only mm. um only menstruate right they only share their reproductive fluids once a month right if they're menstruating um mm. and so as guys we've got re reproductive fluids as well um, which is our seminal fluid it's like make that a bit of a, a thing honor that in your body as well you know there's there's this um movement in the kind of spirituality community around women kind of honoring their moon cycle and syncing up with the phases of the moon and treating um treating themselves like you know um uh, you know like like a queen during those those phases of of uh, menstruation like what's stopping guys from treating their ejaculation the same way their their reproductive fluids you know it's you know oftentimes there's a lot of jokes about um you know baby batter and you know come just being this like you know thing that guys just wipe up and chuck out and there's not a lot of reverence for it there's not a lot of respect for it right mm. um so just like and that's something that i i do a little bit deeper with the the guys that i work with is just kind of reframe that relationship to your own body and to your own um you know seminal fluid and your ejaculation and just kind of creating a bit more sacredness around your sexuality and your and um and your sexual experiences i suppose that's really interesting really because um well it's it's a lot to do with communication as well like if you're gonna you know you're gonna have sex you you'll you'll first of all discuss <laughs> if it's gonna be involving ejaculation or not <laughs> you know it's like all right so i want to hold back <laughs> Or, you know, not just to sustain it for a longer period, but, you know, it's like, okay, no coming in this session, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite interesting. A lot of and communication. There's, and there's like the, the, the um, I notice this a lot, um, even in the, in the like more 
spiritual sexual communities as well of like guys um ejaculating a lot inside of their female partners and you know and, and i i talk a little bit about um contraception and you know conscious conception as well as like you know having um you know, just having a planned pregnancy for example but you know there's there's a lot of guys that just um are almost like unloading in their partner you know I, I kind of shared the analogy before of a guy getting home from work just kind of jerks off has an ejaculation feels like relieved afterwards some of the guys that aren't you know doing that by themselves are going to their partner going to their their um whether who doesn't really matter who that partner is but they're going to their partner having sex with their partner after a long day's work and using that sex um and that ejaculation that comes with that sex as a way to just like unload of the, sh the shit that they've been holding on to right um so they're using their partner in that way to just unload energetically just dump all that shit that they've been you know all that frustration that's pent up over the course of the day or the week or whatever it is um which you know, is one way of having sex but if that's you know if that's your framework for having sex is to just kind of use your partner in order to not only physically biologically unload but also to just like energetically dump all that shit onto them as well like we don't realize how much you know, our partners are taking on when we when we ejaculate as well you know, if we're just using it in that real um, unintentional way to just kind of like get rid of our shit our partner's taking that on right especially if we're ejaculating inside of it mm -hmm. like that's literally going into into our partner you know, and then we got to be mindful of like, I have to use the analogy of like emptying your cup. You know, you've got your cup full of um, energy, um, both you know, uh, in a in a energetic sense, but also in a in a seminal sense as well, in a, an ejaculatory sense. You're getting rid of that, right? But something's got to go back into that cup. Something's got to fill that cup back up. And if you've just dumped everything onto your partner, you know, all that emotional baggage, all that stuff that's been weighing you down, and and they're in your space, and, and they're your partner. And that's just going to come straight back into you and you know so you're gonna you're gonna eventually just try and dump that again and if you just dump it on your partner then that's going to come straight back onto you again so you create this like cycle of of um just kind of irreverent sex that just kind of like not super special not super meaningful it's just this way of just kind of like getting rid of shit um which again it, like if that's done intentionally and it's done um you know with with communication then it can be a beautiful thing but if it's just done you know, because you're going through the motions, then it becomes pretty mundane and, and the sex doesn't become great. Mm, that's interesting. Because, you know, you've got lots of people that actually do that on a regular basis. You know, men with women, women with men. You know, let's just, oh, I've had a busy day at work. Let's just have some violent sex or whatever. And, and then afterwards, they're like, oh, you know, so, you know, light up a cigarette and stuff, as you mentioned earlier. Um, but yeah. That's uh, take note, guys. Take notes. <laughs> um, one other thing, uh, um, reverting back to what we was talking about earlier, where you'd mentioned about how men are just expected to kind of know exactly what to do. Somehow figure it out. No, be born with it and understand. You know, because of that, a lot of guys have performance issues. You know, because you know performance anxiety and you know, and, um, you know, there's certain stigmas and sexual shame. Um, you're expected to have like, uh, you know, a big dick or, um, have endurance, um, or, you know, just be just sexually amazing. You know what I mean? Um, how do guys overcome these situations? Yeah, there, there's, um, 
yeah, a lot of a lot of expectation on guys to, like you said, have a huge dick and um and to you know be to last long and to do all this, you know, um, to be knowledgeable and and I think like the first the first step in like overcoming that expectation and the shame that comes with it is to acknowledge that you have that expectation, right? Is to acknowledge that that's a story that you're playing in your in your head that you feel like you need to be this type of person in the bedroom in order for you to feel like a man right is is to acknowledge that that's affecting you because a lot of guys just go like we kind of said at the start of this conversation they don't want to ask for help they don't want to admit something's wrong they don't want to admit that maybe they're being impacted by the porn that they're watching or by the movies that they're watching or by the stories that society's given them a lot of guys feel like um i'm a i'm, I'm tough i'm a guy i, I don't get affected by that shit. Yeah, but 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 you probably are you probably you probably will be um if you're not already so um so i think the first kind of step in overcoming that shame is to probably acknowledge that it's there in the first place um rather than just kind of pretending that it's something else uh that's that's kind of the first thing and then the the second thing and again it doesn't have to necessarily be in this order but is to start like addressing those messages you know start to challenge them start to and this is a lot of the work that i do is like normalizing the size of your cock it's not going to look like a fucking 12 incher on the favorite porn star that you have right it's normalizing the fact that you you know have the dick that you have normalizing the fact that you uh don't um you know that you don't want to be or that you that you aren't you know this dominant um assertive person you know, just normalizing the fact that sex is varied and that there's like different ways that you can have sex and it doesn't have to look this particular way every single time uh, that's that's a lot of the work that i do is just like guys want to know you know because they because they don't want to pump and thrust away for four hours at a time that they that there's something wrong with them and i'm like man there's nothing wrong with you because that's not what you want to do or that you don't find that super pleasurable you know, just normalize the fact that you um have you know a, a, a diverse array of, of sexual um needs and sexual expressions um, that'd be the first thing is I just like challenge those narratives, admit that they're there because they are start to challenge them a little bit. And you can do that by yourself. You can do that by just reflecting, journaling, um, meditating on them, or you can talk to your mates about them. If you've got mates that are open to having those conversations, talk to your partner about it, talk to someone like me about it, talk to a counselor about it, whatever it might be. Um, but just start to challenge them with a bit of support. Mm. And then once you start to do that kind of intellectually and conceptually, if you start to breaking it down at the level of the mind start to challenge it at the level of the body as well you know that's where the that's where the real work is in my opinion is you know start to explore your body start to give yourself permission to not look like what you see on porn or to not look like this image in your head of what sex is supposed to be masturbation is supposed to be you know start to like there's a lot of shame that guys have around self-pleasuring that doesn't evolve directly touching their cock you know we spoke about this before you know there's there's this uh um reluctance or resistance that guys have to maybe touching their chest or touching their body or or you know touching other areas of their body and getting pleasure from it um which can be quite a central almost feminine thing to like really caress your body and rub yourself in oil and all this other beautiful stuff because it's not quote unquote manly right it's not what men do um, you know, we, we just focus on the goal. We focus on our cock and we just kind of get the job done. Um, so, you know, start to, start to challenge those things, not only at the level of the mind, but then at the level of the body and notice what comes up for you. One of the biggest things that I 
encourage guys to do, which really challenges that is explore your prostate, explore some type of anal penetration. Bam. You know what? I was going to actually talk about that because I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to play with my nipples. I'm happy to rub baby oil all over me and stuff like that. You know, yeah, I don't mind like that whole part of my body, but it's, it's, I, you know, I have to hold my hand up and say, the, the idea of stimulating prostate is, um, you know, unless you are gay, it just seems a bit different, <laughs> you know, that, that is my thought process. And I would love to be able to overcome that. And um, yeah, so yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> for, for acknowledging that man because there's a you know it's, it's a it's a tough one to to acknowledge you know it's a tough one to kind of admit that that's kind of your thought process so i appreciate you for for, for being vulnerable man and sharing that because um because it is it's a it's it's a very strongly held stigma and belief that a lot of guys and i mean not only just guys but women people in general have around like men's anal play men's anal prostate stimulation and and there's a couple of like statistics that i like to share with regards to this which is um uh, let's you know let's challenge that opinion that it's that it's you know a, a homosexual thing right that it's a gay thing um there's these uh beautiful studies that have been done these uh survey questionnaire studies that have been done on uh heterosexual couples and homosexual couples asked what was the you know, last time you had sex what sexual uh, activities did you engage in? What did you actually do you know, with your partner? And only 30, I think it's 32, 33% of gay couples, of gay men, said that they performed any type of anal penetration, right? So one in three gay guys when they had sex had any type of anal penetration. I mean, that, that starts to you know, um, beg the question, what else are gay guys doing? But that's you know, for, them to, for them to know. Um, mm -hmm. And, and the other you know, statistic that I really like to share with regards to this as well is about 21 to 22% of heterosexual couples said that they um, performed some type of anal penetration on the guy. So you've got you know, one, in, one in three gay guys and also one in almost one in four um, straight guys, you know, having their female partner do some type of anal penetration on them almost at the same rate. And I would hazard a guess and say it's probably higher in the heterosexual community, just some guys aren't open to saying that they are um, because of that stigma. Right. So, um, so it's, and, and you know, similar to just people in general, we're all humans, right? We all do things at roughly the same rates, regardless of our orientation, regardless of our preferences. We all do things because we're all, we all have the same bodies at roughly the same amount. Um, so that's like the first thing is like that we're, as gay couples and straight couples, we're doing we're doing the same thing, same same thing sexually, at a roughly the same amount. Um, the the next thing I'll say on top of that is like, again, to dispel this kind of idea that it's a you know uh, exclusively for for gay guys is you know if you're with a partner who's a woman, who's you know a female that you're attracted to, that by definition, regardless of what you're doing, is heterosexual sex. Right? You, you you know you any any activity that you do as a guy with a woman is by definition straight. So it, regardless of where you're putting what, where she's putting what, the two of you together are having you know, straight sex, heterosexual sex. So you know, just because you, know, you um, 
just because you you want to explore or want to put something up your ass or you want her to put something up your ass doesn't you know are you does that make you attracted to to guys does that you know do you have a preference towards you know um you know, uh, do, you know do you have a preference towards cock after that no it doesn't change anything right it's, it's definition heterosexual sex so that um so again it's a you know it, it's almost super illogical right to like to the point where it's like a phobia you know where it's like this irrational fear um but the and then the last thing i'll say is like your your prostate doesn't have a gender right so if you're by yourself and you're you're stimulating your own prostate your prostate doesn't have a gender right it's it's, it's a part of your anatomy so there's nothing um in terms of like that regard there's nothing being uh, changed about you because your prostate is is just part of your body just like your elbow is part of your body just like the top of your head is part of your body you know, it, there's you know, doing a specific thing to your own body doesn't doesn't change your orientation in any way so there's like this strongly ingrained belief that you know being gay is bad right and that's where that's where this fear of doing any type of pain or play comes from <laughs> is because you're right because it's bad to be gay, right? That's the, like, otherwise, why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we just be open to, to doing prostate or anal penetration? It's because to be labeled homosexual in a pretty heterosexual society is a bad thing. Yeah, you know? and, 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 and so that's, that's, the, that's the crux of the problem. So we wanna, uh, I guess, address that internalized homophobia, right? That's kind of what it is. Um, mm. And so I like to share that statistic of like us, you know, heterosexual couples, gay couples, all having anal penetration at the same rate. In fact, there's other studies have been done, again, surveys, qualitative surveys, where they've asked men, you know, would you be or have you tried any type of prostate stimulation? And 70 plus percent of guys said that they had or they would try prostate play. So there's, you know, the majority of, of you know, straight guys either have or would try some type of anal penetration when they know that their answer isn't going to be read by anyone, you know, when they know that they <laughs> say it anonymously. Right, right. So we, need, we need more guys admitting openly on air that they would be like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'd be cool to try that. I'd give it a shot um, mm. because there's more guys out there than I think we realize. Um, so that's like what I wanted to share. And, and then we can start to think of like, okay, the other two major resistances that guys have to exploring that part of their body is that it will hurt, that it's painful. Right? And that comes from, I mean, it comes from uh, two major things I, I feel is like the the um, prostate exams where the, the doctor gloves up and sticks a cold callous finger up your ass and you're like, oh God, this is horrendous and I hate it. And, and you know, this idea that it's, uh, that it's uncomfortable and painful, that's kind of the, the first um, reason why a lot of guys think that is. And, um, and that comes from, again, our mates or Hollywood movies or things like that where you're already tense and tight. So if you're gonna put something up there, it's obviously gonna hurt, it's gonna be painful. Um, it's completely different, completely ir irrelevant to sexual stimulation. Um, mm. but, and then the other one is like, well, where else do we get messages about painful anal stimulation is from women, from you know, from women and gay guys. And But I think a lot of uh, heterosexual guys will get that message from women that anal sex or anal penetration is painful and, and you know there's a whole genre of porn which is about painful anal sex as well so there's this um yeah this really strongly held belief that that anal penetration is supposed to hurt um but it doesn't uh, if you do it properly if you do it 
you know, if you're, if you're applying lube, if you're relaxed, you know, like your, this is where I get into like prostate pleasure and prostate orgasms particularly is like you can orgasm through your prostate. The prostate is connected to uh, a nerve called the hypogastric nerve, which is part of your parasympathetic nervous system, right? We spoke about this before with regards to relaxing. So in order to orgasm through that nerve, you have to be in a relaxed state, right? Um, you have to be in your parasympathetic nervous system because that's the, the branch of the nervous system it's connected to. And you know, when you think about it, you're putting something up your ass to stimulate your prostate. So you've got to be pretty relaxed if you're going to put something up there. So you know, the body knows kind of what it's doing. You know, so, so if you're if you're slowed down and you're relaxed and you're breathing and you're using lube and you're, you're, you're comfortable um, and you, you're not holding tension in your body, you're able to tap into uh, and we spoke you know, before about separating orgasm and ejaculation. It's one of the ways that you can actually have a non-ejaculatory orgasm is by having a prostate orgasm because you completely bypass the ejaculation reflex and you have this you have this beautiful prostate orgasm which you can have again and again and again and again because you're not ejaculating. Is, is, it, is it as intense? I would say it's more intense. Yeah, I, my personal experience and, and the guys that I've spoken to um, that I've coached through this um, I would say it's it's more intense because mm. if you think about the way, um, again, let's let's look at this neurologically. The sympathetic nervous system is it goes to our survival areas, right? It only goes to the major organs. Um, it's very uh, it's, it's based down the spinal column and it's very central, right, with regards to where it, where it touches and where, what it innovates. So we don't experience a lot of sensation through it, right, because it it, it only innovates a certain amount, it only connects to a certain amount of our body. The parasympathetic nervous system, on the other hand, like the prefix of it, para, from the Greek para, which means beside or external, innovates the rest of our body. It goes out into our fingertips, goes out into our limbs, goes out into our non-survival or non-essential areas of our body, which is pretty much the remainder of our body. It's, it's you know, the biggest part of our body. So when we experience orgasm through the parasympathetic nervous system, we experience it in way more of the body than we do when it's just in the sympathetic nervous system like an ejaculation for example so so neurologically speaking you know we're experiencing way more sensation but then also you think about like when we're tight and tense and pushing through an ejaculation like that like that constriction and the tightness we're holding in our muscles like think i, I kind of use the example here of like squeezing your hand really really tight if you you know are squeezing your fist like that the the sensation that you feel there is always going to be um, on top of that dull, aching, tense feeling that you have in your fist, right? And that's similar to an ejaculation, any pleasure that you feel is always going to be on top of that tight squeezing of the muscles. But when you're having a prostate orgasm, for example, and you're relaxed, right? You have to be um, in order to experience it. You've got that openness in your body. Your muscles aren't tense. Your muscles aren't, you know, tightened up. So you actually feel way more. You feel way more sensation. You feel way more pleasure because you, your muscles can actually feel it. They're not tense and tight and constricted. Um, so again, in, in my opinion, and, and then also you can have multiple ones as well. So you, you can just kind of keep on going. Wow. I, I need to start sticking my finger in my bum. That's it, man. I'm convinced. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's hygienically, there's ways to do it safely. You know, there's things that, that all, these, all these resistances that men have are yeah. all... They can all be. They can all be mitigated. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that is really interesting. What about toys? Like you know, it's uh, pretty typical for most women to have toys. Um, 
I don't know about most women, but you hear women talking about it. You don't really hear guys talking about it. And I'm thinking if I was to have some sort of toy, don't know if I'd be talking to my mates about it. <laughs> Do you think there's a, a stigma around toys? What's, what's your thoughts on that? Massively, man. There's a huge stigma on, on male toys. Uh, I guess like because there's a, there's a um, stigma on male masturbation, right? The kind of messages that we get is like, oh, the guys who wank and who, you know, uh, who masturbate are, are losers, right? Like they can't get women. If they're, if they're going home and they're masturbating, it's because you know, they're, they're lesser or they're lower, right? And it's kind of a big joke, male mm. masturbation. It's mm. talked about a lot, but not in a very serious way, right? No one really, apart from people like me, no one really takes male masturbation seriously. Um, so because of that, on top of, you know, that is like the stigma of, of male toys. Like if you're using a, a, a flashlight, fuck that, you know, because you can't get a real girl, you're not manly enough to actually go out and you know, pick up. So there's this added stigma then of like oh you're using a fucking toy like what do you uh, yeah whatever you know there's this this um taboo around it so um which is a shame because a lot of amazing toys exist for male body people specifically and the two ones that i really encourage guys to experiment with is like i just shared a flashlight the reason why is because we we think back to that training of you know practicing the way that you masturbate being the way that you have sex with a partner, if you can use a, a flashlight or an artificial vagina uh, or you know some type of male masturbator, it's an amazing way to learn what type of stimulation is really intense for you, like what type of strokes or what type of position or what type of angles applies too much pressure and makes you want to come really quickly, and it allows you to learn. Okay, well, what if I if I you know, I'm in this position or in this angle or using this type of stroke that actually doesn't apply so much pressure and I can maintain that for a lot longer. And then, you know, when you're with a partner, you've, your hands, right, is, is way different to the inside of a vagina. So if yeah. you're masturbating your hand, you're completely different to them when you have sex with a partner. So you're, you know, again, if you want to use that sporting analogy of train the way you play, then, you know, if, if using a male masturbator, using a fleshlight artificial vagina is an amazing way to kind of learn more about how you're actually going to experience those types of pleasure and maintain that type of pleasure eventually when you're with a partner. That's like one thing that I always encourage guys to do is, is use a male masturbator. Another thing is a prostate massager as well. So a lot of guys maybe are a bit averse to sticking their own finger up their ass. So <laughs> using, a, using a prostate massager is amazing. Um, and you can get ones that vibrate and ones that don't vibrate. I have to encourage guys to get ones that vibrate because that vibration can allow you to be hands-free, can allow you to kind of pop it up there and, and kind of let it do its thing. And you can focus on other areas of your body. You can focus on your cock, you can focus on your nipples, whatever it is. And the vibrating prostate massager does its thing and it pushes you over that edge to have a prostate orgasm, for example. So the prostate massage, just in general, is fucking great for your health as well. Your your sexual reproductive health, um, you know, it it reduces prostate inflammation. It releases uh, stagnant prostatic fluid, which can be helpful for mitigating prostatitis, which eventually can lead to prostate cancer. It's just amazing for your health in general. So um, those are the two toys that I highly advocate for. But yeah, trying to get guys invested in purchasing toys is, yeah, it was one of the hardest things that I've- Wow. Have you got links for that? I'll put it in the show notes if you do. 
I do actually. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I am actually, as of this week, an ambassador for Love Honey, which is one of the um, one of the world's leading adult toy retailing companies, and they've brought me on board specifically to target men to to get guys more interested in this sort of stuff. And I'm super passionate about it, so I do have some links for you. Thank you for asking. Yeah, no worries. So that's for the uh, the the prostate uh, stimulator. What about the, uh, the 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 fleshy masturbator and the um, I don't know artificial vagina? You yeah, got that totally. as well. I, I got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> Um, and then there's interesting conversations to have about that as well. Cause it's like, do you want something that's like ultra realistic? That looks like a vulva, looks like a vagina. That's something that's maybe even anatomically correct as well, that you can be like, whoa, I can actually learn so much about, you know, the female anatomy right now. And I can practice and look at it. Or do you want something that's like, you know, but, but then some people get a bit weirded out by that. It's like this disembodied floating vagina and they're like oh, that's a little bit strange i don't want to feel like i'm fucking this floating vagina so you, know, you, you want to get a bit more artificial looking and a bit more synthetic looking and maybe a little bit more futuristic or whatever it might be you know to to kind of disconnect from the fact that it's just this disembodied body part so mm. it, it, and that's a beautiful way of exploring your preferences as well you know is starting to figure out what it is that you enjoy that's awesome look oh what can i say cam it's been absolutely amazing Thank you so much. It's, it's truly eye-opening. Like, I'm going to sit down and have a deep thought. <laughs> a deep thought about these things. So where can people find you exactly? I know you're on Instagram. What's your handle on there? It's at the Cam Fraser on Instagram. At the Cam Fraser. Are you on uh, Facebook as well or Twitter, YouTube? Uh on, on Facebook at the, at the same handle as well, at the Cam Fraser. Uh, YouTube, I think if you just type in Cam Fraser, you should be able to find me. I, I think one of my first videos is about the prostate and prostate orgasms, so you should be able to find me on that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I've got a website as well, and the website is cam-fraser.com. And um, if people want to work with me, that's usually the best way to find me. That's fantastic. Cam, it's been amazing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, it's, a, it's been an honor to have a chat with you, man. Thanks for having these conversations. It's great. It's great. I've got a lot of male followers and they'll truly appreciate all the information you, you, you've, you've provided uh, today. So um, guys, hit Cam up. He can help you out. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips so always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome, but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.